So uh, we are currently going through a series through the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is one of those books that it just, it, it keeps diving deeper. You know, if you're a theology nerd, Ephesians is one of the books that you'll camp at because it just keeps going. It, it doesn't ease up. But it also shows us the, the height of God's grace and what he has done for us. But it also reveals something else. And that is, it reveals the hard truth about how low we've actually fallen. You know, the thing about the good news is that it's only really good news if we know how bad things really were to make the good news necessary. And until we understand really the hard truth, and it is, because we don't want it to be true of ourselves. We don't want it to be true uh, of the people we love. We don't want it to be true in general. The hard truth of just how lost in sin humanity really is. You know, we didn't just make a, a couple of mistakes that we need to atone for. What we're going to read today is we find out that we were dead. Dead in sin. Well, what does that mean, you know, to, to be dead in sin but, but alive in the flesh? What, what does that mean? And so today, that's what we're going to look at in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Uh, Paul kind of takes one of his first kind of sidebars here. Uh, he was praying. He gets sidetracked. And so now he starts talking about, well, if we're going to understand the depth of the spiritual truth and, and power that he has given us and and we're going to have this working of the Spirit within us, we really need to understand who we are, where we came from, and what God is doing. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Not exactly the glowing endorsement of humanity that we would like to hear. You know, we really like that Genesis, he created man and woman in his own image. We really like that part. But, you know, Genesis continues and tells us even more, and that is how we became dead in sins. Now, when the Bible uses the word dead, it means dead. Spiritually, completely separated from God. Completely incapable of producing works that we could show to God and, and please God on our own. We, we can't do it. If we were to go to the, the, the judgment seat of God right now and bring all of our good works and, and, and throw them on the table, all we would find on those good works is that they are polluting what is perfect. We would find that they don't belong on that table at all. Because God is holy. And he created us to be holy. And he created us to be in relationship with him, communing with him in life. But we chose to sin. And, and so look again in, in Ephesians uh, 2.1, he, 
And he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins, and you were dead uh, in, in which you once walked following the course of this world. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You see, Paul reminds us of the hopeless situation we were all in before we knew Christ. And if you don't know Christ, this is your current situation. It's something we need to understand as fully as possible, even though it doesn't paint a flattering picture of us. And the reason we need to understand it is because the world we live in right now is, is embraced this kind of cultural narcissism and obsession with self-image that, that everybody is okay all the time and whatever I do needs to be approved and, and it needs to be celebrated and nothing is ever wrong. And that has really gripped our world right now. That we need to affirm everything and yet believe nothing. Scripture disagrees with that take on reality. And if we don't understand how dire the situation is, if we can't hear a word about sin in our own lives and how it has destroyed us, if we don't understand our need for a Savior, then we certainly won't appreciate what he did for us on the cross. And I hate this, but we have to know how bad things were to understand how good God is in what he did for us in Christ. Otherwise, we'll reduce the gospel to some kind of self-help moralistic enterprise that is just about being a better person. You know what? Jesus did not come to earth, live a perfect, sinless life, and die a sacrificial death on the cross to make bad people better. He died to make dead people alive. And that is a huge difference in thought. It is a huge shift in the way we've got to look at things because our world right now has taken the cross and and they've made it an example. It's just an example of sacrifice that we should all give. No, the cross was where God dealt with our sin. Now, is it an example? Yes, but it is so much more. It is the moment where our sin that we committed was dealt with once and for all. And what did it take to deal with our sin, to forgive our sin, to remove our sin from us? It took the life of the one and only Son of God who was completely holy and righteous in all things. And so let's go back to the beginning to understand what this problem of sin is. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, after God has created uh, Adam, he's created the garden. Eve has yet to be created, though. And he gives Adam a command, and he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely From the beginning, we were never meant to be independent moral agents. Now, how many of you like that statement? We were never meant to decide right and wrong for ourselves. And God said, don't even try. Just don't, don't go there. Don't make that approach. Don't think that you can handle this because you can't. Don't even know that right and wrong exist. Just follow me And I invite you to enjoy life. 
And, and let's remember, in the garden, God gave a choice. He literally gave a choice that is a choice that we find throughout all of Scripture, all the way until the end. And it's something he repeats over and over. And what was that choice? I give you today the choice between life and death. Choose life. He even tells him. He doesn't just leave it to chance. He says, choose life. He tells the Israelites that when he gave them the law. We have that same decision with Jesus Christ and whether or not we will put our faith in him. But starting all the way back in the garden, by faith, all Adam had to do was believe the words of God. And what was he invited to do? Let me read it again. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Now, what other tree was present in the garden at that time? The tree of life. He told Adam, eat away, man. Eat it, all of it. You can enjoy everything that I've given you. Just don't decide that you can handle the knowledge of good and evil for yourself. Choose life, not death. And he warned them, you eat from this tree, you will die. Now listen, one, that was not an apple. Okay, so anybody tells you that was an apple, that was not an apple. Okay, and let's just be honest, something was going on there that we don't understand today, okay? The Garden of Eden is gone. It was destroyed in the flood. It, all of that, the world is different than it was then. God was doing something very special in the garden when he created Adam and Eve and planted the garden and put the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was something very special there. And it was a foreshadow of what was to come in Christ and the choice that we have to make. Why? Because Jesus died on wood made from a tree. And he's foreshadowing all of it. But we were not created to have the knowledge of right and wrong. But here we are. What happened? Of course, we know Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they should not. They rejected life and chose death. At the core of the, the fall of mankind in Genesis, that is what that story is about. They chose death over life and cursed the rest of us. See, we can't handle the knowledge of good and evil. We can't. You know how I know that? The history of the world since we gained that knowledge. You know, you can look back and go, I think we, uh, I think we messed up. I think that this has gone very, very poorly. We can't handle that. We didn't become good. We didn't become like God, like the serpent said we would. What happened? We became evil and rebelled against God at every turn. And it shows itself in everybody in this world. Now, how does it show itself? The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans gives us two different examples. And, and this is why in the Old Testament you had this breakdown between Jew and Gentile. It wasn't that God liked one group better than the other. It's that he's showing us it doesn't matter who you are, you are sinful. And so he starts out in Romans chapter 1 and talks about the unreligious world. Okay, those who don't have a knowledge of God and they kind of don't care about a knowledge of God. They just do things on their own. They do what they want. They, they don't attend worship. They don't do those things. They just live for themselves. And what does he say about this group? In Romans 1, 18 through 20, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, 
namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What Paul is telling us right there is that everybody, doesn't matter if you have a religious upbringing or not, doesn't matter if you're religious or not, all you have to do is look at the creation and you will have some knowledge of God that he is real. And it, you, we are without excuse. Nobody will be able to stand before God one day and say, well, nobody taught me the truth. He's going to go, I revealed it to you. I gave you enough knowledge through the creation itself through the vast expanse of the heavens that says the glory of God, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. He says it's all around. All you got to do is look. The truth is there. And so nobody will be able to make that excuse before God because God will say, no, I showed myself to you, and you chose to reject it. That's the unbelief, the unreligious world. What about the religious world? What about those who claim to follow God, but don't really have a faith in God? Are they any better? Is it any better for those who have the scriptures of God, but don't follow it? Is it any better for those who can say, well, yeah, I, I grew up in church, but you know, it's not really for me. I, I know this, or, or those who are counting on their own good works and think of themselves as good people who do the right thing, and God will honor that. What does Paul say of that? He says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, now for this discussion, the law means your religious practices, okay? The law means the Ten Commandments. The law means that this moralistic enterprise I've talked about, that, hey, we're going to be good people. If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure, now, if you don't know, this is Paul being sarcastic. Okay, I need to, to settle that here. He's being sarcastic. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, Gentiles make that the unreligious that we just talked about. You see, God isn't interested in our works. You know why? Because our works accomplish nothing. None of us can do anything, as I said before, that we can bring to God and lay on the table and say, God, here it is, I did this, and God says, yes, I will accept that. None of us can do that. Every single one of our works, Scripture tells us, are like filthy rags. And so what is the conclusion of this? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how good of a person we think we are. It doesn't matter how much religion we have in our world. 
Now, look, religion is not necessarily a bad thing if it's focused on the truth and it leads us to a saving knowledge of Jesus and our religious practices lead us to Christ, to faithfulness in Him. But if they lead us to a self-righteous belief in ourselves that somehow I'm a better person than somebody else because of my actions, we haven't understood what Scripture tells us. Because Scripture says, what's it say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? That means we're all equal in God's eyes and we're all equally guilty. And nothing we can do will change that. Well, that's the hard truth. And what is it? What did, what, did, what did God tell Adam? He says, the day you eat from that fruit, the day you gain the knowledge of good and evil for yourself, you will die. And what does Paul come along thousands of years later and tell us in Romans 6, 23? The wages of sin is death. Hey, look, nothing changed. Absolutely nothing changed from the beginning. God didn't change. Grace didn't change. The choice didn't change. God can always say, I put before you life and death. And then like screaming from heaven says, Choose life. And we say, ooh, look, death is shiny. They have cookies. And we listen to it and we run to it. And so in Ephesians, Paul here reminds us of this and shows that we all used to live this way. This is the state of everybody in this world apart from Christ. Okay, we all used to live this way, walking lockstep with the flow of this world, or in the Greek here, it means age. And so the Bible teaches a two-age system, this age and the age to come. This age is sinful, broken, limited, is going to end, and is not functioning as God intended. The age to come is the age where Christ will reign supreme, new heaven, new earth, sin is gone, death is gone, everything is fixed. And so there is a course, a pattern, pattern to this age that those who are not in Christ will follow. It's what it means to be a slave to, the, to sin. And when we are a slave to sin, the wages of sin is death. And so listen again to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Nobody in this room, nobody in this world can say, you know what? I have loved God from the day of my birth and I've never sinned. Only one person could ever say that and it was Jesus Christ and he gave his life for all of us who have done that, who have sinned. He is the only one. And he says, in which you once walked following the course of this world. Following the course, it is a a guaranteed path of sin and death and suffering. And if that isn't bad enough, it gets even worse. You see, the hard truth isn't just that we're messed up, but that the enemy is real. We have an enemy who knows how messed up we are, and he's the most messed up of all, and it's his entire existence, his entire goal of his entire existence now is to destroy everything that he can pertaining to God and righteousness. 
God's people, God's creation. He doesn't care what it is. He is the destroyer. He wants to destroy everything that he can until his time comes and he is cast into the lake of fire. And that enemy is real. You see, listen. Paul Paul shows us that we're not only the ones that are rebellious, that we have an enemy who takes that rebellious nature and will exploit it to bring even more destruction. Have you ever had somebody know your weakness and mess with you? Man, that's personal, isn't it? I mean, to to know your weakness and and then just twist that knife, that's that's next level evil. That's that's something that we all are like, yeah, I don't like that. You know what? That's who our enemy is. He knows. He's been defeating mankind from the beginning. He's been lying from the beginning, and here's what Paul says. He says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Like I said, Paul just kind of keeps heaping stuff on here. He doesn't doesn't ease up in this book. Following the prince of the power of the air. The evil one, the devil, the father of lies, that serpent of old, the dragon, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, Lucifer himself. He is the pied piper of the fallen world that leads people to their own destruction. That is exactly what he is. He is the siren song of the fallen heart. He is the one. That will lead you to destroy yourself and then mock you on the other side for doing it. And he has no conscience, no shame. Nothing is too low for him. Here's what Jesus says about our enemy in John 8, 44. He's talking to some Pharisees here who are accusing him of things that, that aren't true and, and they're being pretty rank about it. And so he's having a back and forth with them and he finally kind of throws down the gauntlet with them. And he tells the Pharisees, he says, you are your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. What is that about following the prince of the power of the air, following the course of this world? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, I want you to think about what Paul just said about him because the importance of what Paul has said and what Jesus says here in John can't be overstated. Satan is, as Paul says, the prince of the power of the air. In this world right now, he is the one pulling the strings of every culture, every society, every place in all of history. Now, God does interrupt. God's people are there, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But when you look at the world, understand who is it that is making things go the direction they're going. It's the enemy. He is the prince of the power of the air. That means all the systems that are in place in our world that are that, that just they, they seem to mess up. You ever notice that? Everything seems to go bad. 
You can set something up with the greatest of intentions, and before you know it, it's the most evil thing in the world. What happened? The prince of the power of the air is what happened. It's what he does. He is in control of this world for now. Now, I say for now because his day is coming. But it wasn't entirely a lie when he tempted Jesus and he showed him the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all this has been delivered to me. He wasn't lying about that. You know what he was lying about? He didn't have the authority to give it away. And he says, I'll give it all to you if you worship me. He didn't have the authority to give that because God still owns it. Satan's just a prince. He's not the king. And for right now, the prince is pulling the strings of things in this world. And so that means, and we, we as Christians, we have to do this. This is not to be paranoid, and this is not to, to go around and say, you know, I'm better than you or anything like that. It is wisdom. That means that the dominant influence in this world, in the culture that operates around us, is evil. Pure evil. And is not to be toyed with. And we, as believers, as followers in Christ, have to develop the wisdom necessary to see the influence of the evil one and how it is that we are called to counter it. Because we are not called to hole up and just avoid it. We're not. Okay? We, we are not called to do that. But we have to admit that this is what the world is like. We have to accept it as true and we have to understand the wisdom it takes to, to navigate this world when the prince of the power of the air is the evil one who wants to destroy us. Because some people don't want to admit this. And when we don't admit it, you know what we do? When we won't admit that this is how the world works, we'll try to make this world our home. We will start to follow things of this world as though they could be redeemed and we can have heaven on earth. And we will commit ourselves to the things of this world rather than the things of God. And the instant we do that, Satan has us. Because he's in control of the things of this world. And so our commitment is to the kingdom. You see, there are people who don't like to admit it and they even refuse to admit that pure evil even exists. Have you noticed that today? Everything is just kind of some, you know, just needs therapy. It just needs this, just this. And then, you know what? There is pure evil. Genuine, pure evil that is irredeemable. Now, I didn't say a person is irredeemable, but there is genuine evil in this world. Satan and his demons are irredeemable. They cannot be forgiven. God has not offered them forgiveness. They rebelled knowing the full truth. They were not deceived. They were not created in God's image. They are condemned for all eternity. So you know what? They don't care about you. They hate you. And they will do whatever it takes to destroy you. So anytime Satan, a demon, the influence of this world gets in your head, in your ear, understand the end goal is destruction. That first step may not seem like a destructive step, but it's one step towards destruction. Always, every single time. And so, without question, we have to understand this truth. That those who are in darkness, 
are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now notice he says it's now at work. Satan didn't stop working when the world fell. He was just starting working. He's still working. His spirit is still active in this world. And the more we understand and walk in the truth, the more we recognize that darkness for what it is and want nothing to do with it. We really do. It, it, God gives us discernment. He gives us wisdom. He, he opens our eyes to it. And the things that maybe at one time were attractive lose their luster and we start to see them for what they are. And we reject it. And so it's vitally important that we always remember this truth. The world is in the grasp of the evil one, which means we are always going to be fighting him and his influence in our lives. It's not going away this side of heaven. We're not going to, quote, win the battle and keep Satan away from us at all times. And I'm afraid that's what too many Christians think that is going to happen. And this is Paul's introduction. He's going to get into very real spiritual warfare later in the book. This is his first introduction of it in this book. This is his first mention. He's going to mention it again, and then he's going to get to to chapter 6, and we're going to get into full-blown warfare. Understand, we are at war, and we will be until we die. It's not going away Now, that does not mean it's hopeless. You know why? Because that war is won. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection won that war. But the war isn't over. The end happened first. The battle is still going. But we know we just got to get there. And it's now up to us to have what I like to refer to as our own desert wandering. I really believe that's what our lives are. Our lives are our desert wandering where we have to fight the battle, where we have to stay faithful, where God provides what is needed, and it's up to us to get to the promised land by faith. Because God's already provided it. He's already made the promise. He's given us the fire of the Holy Spirit within us. So now just walk by faith and face the battles that he wants us to face. Because we have been called to enter this battle and be a counter-influence to the prince of the power of the air in this world. And none of us is immune to it. Now, he says enter the battle. He didn't say win the battle by yourself. Don't take that on yourself. You're going to lose. We do this together. We just continue day at a time. We're not going to, you know, conquer Satan. We're not going to storm the gates of hell on our own. But you know what? Jesus said... The gates of hell will not overcome my church. You see, with Jesus, we just continue in this battle and we will keep going forward. Here's what Jesus had to say about this in Matthew 5. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, why would we be persecuted? Because the prince of the power of the air is in control and he knows who we are. And if Satan knows who you are as a child of God, guess what? You're blessed. That means you're on his radar. That means he knows he has to fight because you're going to do some damage to his kingdom. And I mean that. He will fight you because he knows when you walk with Christ, you will do damage to his kingdom and bring glory to God's. 
He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, nothing has changed. He's been the prince of the power of the air since Adam and Eve fell into sin. It happened in the past. It's going to happen now. It'll happen in the future. It's not going to change. And so then he tells us, what is our role in all of this? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are called to be the light for heaven in this world. Now, when he says shine your light, that is not a message of self. That is a message, shine the light of Jesus that is within you. Show your faith to the world. Live by faith and let the world, in the middle of all the chaos, live for God. Be faithful. People will notice. And they will rejoice and glorify God because of it. People will be saved. You will do damage to the kingdom of darkness. The prince of the power of the air will come against you, but he cannot defeat you if you don't let him. But we have to stop being afraid of the fight. It's going to happen. Look, if Satan isn't coming against you, that means you're no threat to his kingdom. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be constant. It's not all the time. Even Jesus had moments of rest where he told him, he's like, okay, go away now. I'm done with you. He's tempted three times in the desert, and after the last one, he says, be gone. Now, did Satan come back? Yeah, he came back again later. But at that moment, he's like, that's it. That's, that's enough for now. God will give you rest when you need rest. God will provide what is necessary for the battles. But we are his soldiers, and we must show up. We don't have a choice in that. The instant we accept Christ into our lives... We are a part of his kingdom. We have to embrace that. Because then embracing that, we have to decide what will rule my life, passion or self-control. What is this life about? Is it about passion? Is it about me pursuing everything that I want in this world and, and living by my own desires? Or is it about self-control and, and living for the kingdom of God? We have to make that choice. Those who are not in Christ, it's passion. They are enslaved by their own desires. They are enslaved by their own lust. They are enslaved by their own sin. And that sin is inflamed and encouraged by the enemy so that a person never really recognizes what is going on. But in Christ, that circle is broken. And we can then live outside 
of being blown, as Paul's going to say later in Ephesians, tossed to and fro by everything that comes along. You don't have to be at the mercy of this culture. You don't have to be at the mercy of your own desires. You don't have to be at the mercy of the outside world. You can have peace and self-control given by the Spirit of God. And that is freedom. You see, and this is what Paul says. Listen to how he finished in Ephesians 2.3. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Nobody can say, oh, no, I don't know what that is. I've never been there. And I love this. Even Paul is like, yeah, we. Paul says we. You know why? Because Paul was enslaved by his own flesh. You know how it showed himself? As a murderer. He approved killing people who disagreed with him and enjoyed it. The man was a psychopath before he was, before he was saved. And, and I'm not kidding. He thought he was serving God. He thought, hey, this is a good thing. I can do this. And, and, and I feel justified in it. And he enjoyed it. And then he gets saved and he realized what's going on. And that's why he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. Man, I was messed up. And he says, so among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, nature, I mean, we didn't even have to try, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You see, at some point, this describes every single person on earth. At some point in your life, it described you. If it describes you right now, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And listen, we all know deep inside, are we enslaved by our own passions? Are we enslaved by our own desires? Or can we rise above them? Do we have the power of the Spirit to be able to tell ourselves no? If we can do that, that comes from God. It's not something that we can just do. And if you need proof how badly things, how quickly things get, get really bad, just read Genesis 1 through 11. They go from the garden and everything's awesome to God saying, you know, I can't even let y'all speak the same language anymore. Everything you do is evil. So I'm spreading you all out over the entire earth because my goodness. Y'all just messed it all up. <laughs> I wanted you to live forever. and No, you get to live 120 years now. That's it. No more. Yeah, you live a thousand years, things are going to be really, really bad. I mean, it just, it just plunges so deep into darkness so quickly that this is who we are apart from Christ. And so in Christ, this is, this is really the challenge this morning that, that I want to connect with you. This is all of us. This is me. If I am not submitted to Christ and following the Holy Spirit... This is who I will be by nature. I don't have to try. If I just let things go and and don't draw near to God, I'm going to naturally drift towards being a slave to my own desires and to my own mind. Like if I just let it happen, it's going to happen. This is all of us. Nobody is above this. So anybody that that in your mind, you're like, oh, yeah, no, I'm fine. Really, I got it under control. No, you don't. And I don't say that to judge. I'm just telling you, you can't control it. 
We all need Jesus Christ. We need him. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued from the sin and the power of sin within us. Because by nature, we'll just follow our own flesh. And so the hard truth is that we have to admit this about ourselves. And we've got to look at where does it affect, where does it come out? Because you, know, you know what? Why is it so much easier to spot where it shows itself in other people's lives? Isn't it? I mean, we can, you know, we can find other people's sin in a matter of seconds. But we're so blind to our own. It's like it's okay. And you know what that sin in other people that we typically recognize first? The one we're familiar with. You see, we we have to accept the hard truth. And that's why Paul, he stops his prayer and he jumps into this to remind people like, look, God has given us every spiritual blessing and he has blessed us incredibly. We have this incredible spiritual power that we can pray for and and, and make a part of our lives. But we got to know the situation and how utterly dependent on God we really are. Apart from him, we have nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we are dead in the sins and trespasses in which we used to walk following the course of this world. If we go along to get along with the world, we're in the wrong lane. We're in the wrong lane. We have to look to Christ and be willing to go counterculture, to go to the truth. And so my challenge to you today is just to ask, where am I in this? Is self-control the fruit of my life? Do I see it? Do I know that it's there? Have I learned how to walk in the Spirit? Or do I find myself being pushed to and fro by what the world's doing, by what I want, and I can't seem to find center? If you can't seem to find center, and you're always being pushed back and forth, you may need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Okay, the Gospel tells us that whoever believes will be saved. Okay, it tells us that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not about the works. It's not about becoming a better person. It is about putting your faith in the one who died for you and was raised again and is coming again to judge. Simply pray and ask him to come into your life and you will be saved. He will turn no one away. He will turn no one away, but we have to come to him in faith. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and Lord, I just thank you for every person here. God, I thank you for the grace that you have given us, that you have shown us. God, that you did not abandon us to our sin, that even though we were dead in trespasses and sins, God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and you showed your love for us through that. So God, I pray if there are any here right now who do not know you, who have not been born again, God, that right now, where they are seated, they would simply say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. I confess you as Lord. I believe you died for me. 
and I ask you to come into my life. Be Lord of my life, Lord Jesus. God, I know that sounds simple, but it is. If we come in faith, God, you have promised not to turn any away. And so, God, I pray wherever we are, God, if there are those who have, whose light has been dimmed, they've started following the world rather than you, and, and while they have the light, they have put that bowl over the light and dimmed it. God, I pray that they would remove it, that they would come back to you and follow you more closely, more passionately. God, that they would fan into flame the gifts that you have given them so that they could serve your kingdom and do damage to the kingdom of darkness. God, help us to be united in this, God, that we would love each other as you have loved us. God, that we would be united for your kingdom through the gospel, through our faith in, in our Lord Jesus Christ, God, that it wouldn't be about any one person. It wouldn't even be about Grace Family Fellowship. It would be about the kingdom of God. God, unite us in this.